Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from down under. Last night, Fulham was certainly stung as we went down 3-2 at Legoland to our close neighbours, Brentford. Uh, in what they described as their cup final, the home team had a bit of luck go their way as well as capitalising on a sloppy performance from a Fulham team who struggled to create any real chances. Here to discuss a disappointing result, I have Elton. How are we going? Oh, hi there, Jack. Uh, good, good to be here. Hello, everyone. Well, you say good to be here. It's... Uh, not the oh, most it's, in, <laughs> not uh, the most enjoyable to game here. to actually discuss, though. Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's still interesting, and um, I, I I actually enjoy the chats. So it's uh, you know we we it can't always be uh, be roses, um, and I think um, as we'll get into it, it's just uh, kind of bound to happen at some point in the season when we. Uh, we, we, we're forced to scratch our heads a bit. Yeah, look, uh, as you said, it's been one of those seasons so far where we haven't really had to have these kind of conversations. And, you know, most of our podcasts have been incredibly positive because we've got really good results. Even when we lose, it's been good results and good performances. But this one just felt a little bit different where, you know, we, we're coming off the back of a couple of performances that maybe aren't as strong as we have sort of expected. And we, we're getting points, even though we may be not playing that well. Um, but it seemed to sort of come crashing down in a heap, especially with Polina missing from the starting lineup. Um, Dad, talking of the lineup, we, we obviously talk week in, week out for the last month or so about um, who's going to start on the wings and, and what the lineup's going to be. We expected Lukic to come in for Polina. Were you at all surprised? That Solomon actually got a start on the left, and William moved to the right. So I wasn't surprised that Solomon got a start. I mean, I guess it's always a possibility that um, Silver was going to continue to use him as a sub, but I think I think the weight of evidence says that he's he's ready and he's a, you know he's a high impact player. So I'm glad he started. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I've seen a lot of commentary and we've discussed it a lot as well about as to whether whether he should be on the left. I think perhaps the bigger issue is whether um, Willian should be on the left and whether Solomon is probably perhaps more effective from or most effective from either side or as effective from either side. And perhaps what we're doing is is cancelling out the William effect because he has actually he has he's been a little off lately, hasn't he? Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, and we will discuss it later because I do have um, a, a tweet that we've got that we will discuss about whether that was the right decision or not. But I, I did see it broken down on Twitter that 
Willian has played 195 times on the right and 196 times on the left in his career. So it's not like we're displacing Willian and putting him in a position that he's not used to playing. When he was at Chelsea, he you know, quite often rotated between the two wings. Same at Arsenal, you'd find him on the right or the left. Um, throughout his whole career, he's been a player who can play on both wings. So I, I don't think he's massively out of position, but I think maybe we're just seeing a little bit of fatigue over the last few weeks where, um, you know, there, there was that spark maybe a month or so ago, and it just looks like it's it's fizzled out very slightly recently. And, you know, we could potentially blame that by him being put out, out of position and also by the fact that Solomon has come in and, and done such a great job. Um, but maybe we're being a little bit too harsh on on Willian and actually it's um, it's just a, a couple of little slow performances. Well, what about the effect of, you know, the partnerships that are presented to you by where you play? Um, you know, Robinson versus Tete and I think I think that's actually probably is potentially the biggest factor. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I reckon that's probably more of an argument to have for why Willian should play on the left and potentially displace Solomon on the right because Willian and Robinson have worked so well together through the whole season. Um, and I guess BDR and um, Tete have worked really well as well, which which mm. made the decision in the first place really tough to make, even though... Solomon was scoring for fun. Um, it, it was always going to be a tough decision to make because of those really good partnerships that the the wingers and the fullbacks have made with each other. But I think you just couldn't keep Solomon out of the side after the scoring streak he's been on and the performances he's been putting in. And um, look, I, I mean, you, you have to say it was probably still the right decision. He obviously got on the score sheet. We'll cover that a little bit later. But let's talk about that first I guess five or six minutes, but really the first 15 minutes of the game where Brentford just came out of the blocks, uh, were far more aggressive, uh, pressed really hard, one possession of the ball and just looked a little bit more up for it. Um, were you, I mean, you obviously weren't surprised because it's a derby, but um, do you think Fulham should have handled that pressure a little bit better considering how well we've played so far this season? It's surprising to me. You'd think that the preparation would be excellent for just the sort of phys- not not just the physical preparation, but just the psychological preparation. It's a really important game. It's a derby. Uh, points wise, position wise, at the table, really important. Um, and and Silver always seems to do very very well in preparing the team for it. And I I I, I wonder whether there's there's just some sort of mental fatigue and physical fatigue uh, having an impact now because they they just executed that high impact stuff better than we we did we didn't we, well we didn't bring it and then we seemed to really be under the cosh with it uh, for that first 10 15 minutes hmm. um, which just kind of set us up really badly we just looked like we were battling so hard to keep the ball out of our final third and keep the ball out of the back of the net. Yeah, well, let's talk about the first Brentford goal. Um, some debate in the lead-up to the goal. Um, a, a pass comes through from Brentford and the player looks to be quite a long way offside, but um, 
Fulham clear the ball out for a corner. Um, interesting that, I mean, with the rules the way they are currently, um, the assistant referee doesn't flag for that, even though it's going for a man in an offside position and Brentford win the corner. Potentially, if the the assistant had flagged an offside there, Fulham would have had a free kick and, and Brentford never would have had the chance in the first place. But putting that aside, corner comes in, Fulham failed to clear it a, a couple of times. Uh, Pinnock ends up getting a shot on goal, takes a big deflection off Ream. It was on target in the first place, but you'd, you'd say Leno probably had it covered. Um, and ball ends up in the net. Leno completely wrong-footed. Nothing you can do about that when there's a big deflection like that. But, Dad, should Fulham have dealt with that corner better? Well, um, I'd, I'd probably flip that and say fair play to Brentford. They had really high intensity, and when you're putting shots in like that at close range, you know, you, something is likely to come off if you keep doing it. And as, as it was, he didn't beat Leno from his strike. He beat Leno from a deflection. But that's what can happen. Mm. So fair play to them. And it probably was a fair um, result for their efforts for that first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, you know, was, uh, I, I think um, we weren't playing badly. We just couldn't get on top of them. And we, mm. we, we were on the back foot. I think we, we yeah. were definitely lowing. We were definitely low tempo, definitely. Which which is interesting for a, a derby game, and I think that's where we do miss someone like Polinia, who does seem to raise the tempo slightly in in the way that he runs around the midfield, gets stuck in. You know, it does it does raise the team and raise the players around you when you've got someone you know, putting themselves about and really making a nuisance of themselves. And I think we did miss that because Lukic is a good player, but he's not uh, hes not in the same mould as Polina. He's hes good on the ball. He's probably more of a replacement for Reed, I'd say, than for Polina. Um, I think he did an okay job, but it definitely, definitely wasn't perfect. And, you know, we'll talk about his yellow card and what should have probably been a potential sending off as well. Um but, yeah, I mean, I, for me, I think Fulham should have dealt with that a little bit better. I agree it, Brentford probably did deserve it. And when the goal went in, the commentary um, kind of said the same thing, saying, you know, it's only six minutes into the game, but um, this goal's been coming, um, which is kind of indicative of how dominant Brentford were in that first six minutes of the game. Um, you know, Leno had had to make already two pretty sharp saves by that point. And I think Brentford had pretty much missed an open goal as well at the back post, um, all within the first six minutes. So it was a pretty dominant opening performance from Brentford. And, you you know, Fulham did wrestle the game back. It took about 15 minutes or so because you concede an early goal. It is tough to get back into the game. But Fulham did get some possession back. Dad, did you think Fulham responded fairly well after going down so early in a game like this, in a derby game? Well, they hung in there. I don't think they... It took them some time to get back into the game. Their response was an instant. But... Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to bag them out for... I, w I wouldn't suggest that they dropped their heads and it was all over um, as soon as Brentford scored. But it continued to be tough for us until probably... I'm going to say maybe the middle, the late latter stages of that first half mm. where we 
appeared to be settling and actually getting back into the game. Yeah, well, let's talk about um, how Fulham did get themselves back into the game and, um, you know, a bad tackle on Reed on the edge of the box, a very high boot, um, which wasn't the, the only time in the game there was a high boot coming in from a Brentford player, but um, Reed taken down on the edge of the area, very, very close and tough to score a free kick from there, but Pereira stepped up, looked fairly confident, hit a really great free kick, managed to get the ball up and down very quickly. Um, unfortunate that it came off the crossbar and uh, didn't go in because I think it would have been a really deserved goal and probably a really good boost for Pereira as well. But fortunately, that man Solomon again following up. Five goals from five games, four in a row in the league. Uh, this kid, I mean, we say it every single week, but geez, he is he's special. And he has that Sessegnon-style ability. He'd be the last person I, I remember who was always just in the right place at the right time. Um, mm. where, you know, uh, I actually had missed the goal um, and uh, I knew Solomon was the scorer and I watched it when the free kick was being lined up and I thought, okay, how does Solomon actually score from here? Because um, the free kick is on the right-hand side of the box, the ball's being hit to that corner and Solomon's standing on the far side of the box and and somehow just manages to you know, not ball watch, actually get himself in a proper follow-up position and he's there to just head into an empty net and, um, you know, like we've said multiple times, he's he's a special, special talent and Fulham need to do everything they can to wrap him up and make sure that he's a Fulham player for a long time to come. Um, Dad, will you... Sorry. Go on. Um, he's, he's a bright spark, isn't he? And he's he's opportunistic and... Um, I'm not going to say that people were standing around ball watching, but I think he's just so genuinely enthusiastic. He loves being involved, and he was up for that. I mean, I guess yeah. teaching that as a kid to follow through and gamble at that point, and he did precisely that, and kind of made it look pretty easily. But in as much as you know, if if you're if if you're really up for it, and <clears throat> Uh, just, just uh, what I'm trying to say is, in the same way that Brentford deserved that goal um, by just being putting under us under so much pressure and just being so up for it, and everyone being so very aware, I think similarly Solomon deserved that goal because of his awareness, and he was kind of prepared to follow up and be there. Yeah, I think there's there's a bit of natural talent there as well where. You you do just have to have that ability to know where to be, and he seems to have that ability to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and look, a, a good finish, a pretty simple one at the end of the day, but he put the ball comfortably in the back of the net without much fuss. Uh, I really enjoyed the celebration afterwards. You could see how fired up Pereira was, even though he wasn't the goal scorer. I don't even know if he goes down as getting an assist for that goal. Um, I don't think he does, but... Um, just how how absolutely fired up he was about that one because, um, you know, he's been having a bit of a tough time recently. Um, I don't think he's really looked 100%. I don't think it's an injury. I think there's, again, maybe a bit of fatigue, maybe just a little bit of a, a dull patch for him, as probably could say a couple Fulham players have. But, Dad, do you think that moment maybe gave him... Um, a little bit of, of something to cling on to and potentially move forward with over the next few games. 
I, I know what you mean. I did see that as well. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely hasn't had it all his own way. I mean, he's had a really great season and he's, he's a really high-impact player for us and a really important player. But he just seemed a bit off in the last probably three or four games, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, it's difficult to know what turns it around for players, you know. Um and 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 maybe when when you score a goal that you almost didn't deserve to because of your performance up to that point, or you just do something brilliant and special that everyone gets behind you, maybe it does turn around for you. And and mm. when you find the solution, and uh, can you can you text Alexander Mitrovic? <laughs> I know we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, the the other. Talking point, I guess, after the equaliser, um, or sort of before and after the equaliser, Sasa Lukic picked up his first yellow card after 35 minutes. Um, there was a pretty horrendous tackle as well in that time from Ivan Tony, and we've got a picture of it a little bit later on to show where he goes over the top of the ball and somehow takes Lukic in the face. Um, and then around that same time as well, we see Lukic um, commit another foul that, you know, should definitely be a, another yellow card um, and probably see, see uh, Sasa Lukic sent off before half time. Dad, I mean, just in general, because th- this is a couple of moments, but throughout the whole game, um, a little comment on the refereeing and your thoughts on, on the performance from the ref. I, I, I was frustrated. Um, he's a very experienced ref, but I feel I feel like this is becoming a real thing now. And I don't want to sound like a moaner, but it it does feel like our card has been marked, mm. and we're we're the feisty bad boys that all refs need to be look looking out for. Now we're not absolute animals, but we're cheeky and we're a little bit undisciplined, and we must be kept in our place. And they're looking for it. And may, may, maybe, you know, how could you miss um, the number of yellow cards as a referee that Polini is picking up? He leads he leads the pack in that. Mm. Um, but it's not only him. There's a lot of other players picking up a you know, bag of yellow cards. But I, I just thought that the ref seemed very keen to kind of make statements. And certainly the... I, I, I don't think there's much to dispute about Lukic's first um, sort of slide tackle coming in kind of from the side, from behind, kind of a little yeah. bit from behind. Um, I, I wanted to be generous. It, it wasn't absolutely filthy, but it was from behind. Yeah, it was a, and, it was a bad tackle. It wasn't terrible, yeah, but it was a bad yeah. tackle. But it's, it's, it's a yellow card. No mm. no question about it, right? Um, the, the, the Ivan Tony thing... You know, I thought Ivan Tony. I was talking to Sam about this on the phone this afternoon. Ivan Tony, I, I regard whatever you think about him. I think he's a very intelligent, a very instinctive footballer. His brain mm. twitches very quickly, and I think there's rarely a moment on the pitch that he doesn't know what he's doing or isn't mm-hmm. quite intentional about what he's doing. And he was very quick to appear sorry. Remorseful. And 
Yeah, remorseful. I was going to say that. Yep, remorseful and almost bemused at what had just happened. But if you look at it in slow motion, and I know how slow motion has a way of making things look worse. But if you if you just look at his awareness is incredible. His mm. his awareness is incredible, and that's in open play, hardly with four players around him in a high pressured situation where he's trying to sneak one in past the keeper. Very much in open play. It just seems impossible for me to believe that he didn't have a good handle on what he was about to do. So the ref doesn't even pull pull up a yellow card, which is astonishing mm. when you think whether whether or not it was malicious, he actually put two studs in Lukic's face and, you know, there's an injury, very visible. So whether it was, <coughs> excuse me, whether or not it was malicious, it was a, a very, very bad tackle which and it resulted in an injury. Yeah, look, I, I don't think there was any malice in the way he went into the tackle. I think it was a poor tackle. There's there's not many instances in, uh, I'd say professional football, but not many instances in the Premier League that you see where someone goes in purely to, to hurt someone else. There are some bad yeah, tackles yeah. and people going quite hard. He, he went in, he timed it poorly, he lifted his foot and... He ended up catching Lukic in the face. Now, the definition of the rules um, for for a foul is if you put someone in danger, you should be carded yellow if not red. Um, and really, the tackle that he made, even if accidental, has put someone else in danger. If you raise a boot to someone in the middle of the field and hit them in the face, you should be carded at the very least yellow card. And if it's yep. even if it's clumsy you still get sent off for, the, for things like that. It's it's startling to see that Fulham, again, picked up three yellow cards from 17 fouls and Brentford from 12 fouls picked up no yellow cards. In in a derby game, especially when people do go in a little bit harder and, you know, Brentford were trying to assert themselves and go in very hard and yet didn't pick up a yellow card even after, you know, taking down someone on the edge of the box of the high boot, Lukic getting caught in the face, multiple professional fouls um, where, you know, multiple times in the game, I just thought, okay, the ref is surely going to give him a card there. And it just seemed to get waved off. And I, I don't know if there's a bit of a vendetta against Fulham and you don't want to talk about it like that because it does sound like you're whinging, but it does seem like we're picking up more yellow cards than are fair. Admittedly, the one for Mitrovic late on for just moaning, I can understand, but when we're picking up cards for, you know, solid challenges, admittedly, there yes, there are some bad challenges that have been made from Fulham this season, and so I think those are fine. But, um, you know, I, I'd say 75% of the tackles probably deserve a yellow card, um, but we but seem to be think, having I one or two point, added on top of that. What we're talking about is our sense of a lack of consistency. We, we, we're not saying that Fulham weren't responsible for any yellow card level fouling. But if you look at the number of fouls on both sides and you watch the, actually watch the game, it feels, and, what, and it's somewhere where you never, ever want to end up, it feels like the referee is, is, is trying to manage the situation and think beyond the actual incidents themselves to sort of almost even things up or manage mm. one of the team's behaviour. 
Mm. And we'll, um, we'll come to that in a minute because I think, um, you know, the the second Lukic yellow card, I, I think, was an absolute even up, square up for the card that wasn't given against uh, the Tony Lukic uh, incident. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it should have been a yellow card. And I, I can't understand why it wasn't, to be perfectly honest. So, uh, look, uh, you know, maybe we just we take that. But the, the refereeing decisions throughout were, were pretty poor, I thought. Um, uh, let's move on to, to the other one that I thought was just a, a crazy decision. And it did get raised post-game as well. I, the... Um, the coverage that I was watching had Ian Wright and uh, Michael Owen afterwards. And um, the penalty, um, you know, was given away by Diop for a kick on, I think it was Jensen. Um, the the ball's sort of bobbling around in a penalty area, fairly scrappy. From the, the angle that we had, uh, I couldn't really see any contact in general except a Brentford player going down and then all of a sudden the referee's pointing to the spot. When you watch it in slow motion... Yes, there is contact from Diop, but as Ian Wright actually said, um, you know, it's it's not like this player's turning and shooting and cops contact. He's basically kicking the ball away from him, um, gets a tiny bit of contact on it, and, and Diop just basically taps the end of his toe, and the player goes flying to the floor. Um, how you can give that as a penalty but also not give the yellow cards to Lukic and Tony earlier, uh, it's, again, it comes down to consistency. And, you know, we. It, I don't want us to sound like we're just whinging about poor refereeing decisions being the downfall of us because it's definitely not the case. We didn't play well throughout the whole game and that's why we lost. But the, the standard of refereeing in this game especially was poor. It, it really was. But, and, but, you know, I think... When when a questionable decision results in a penalty, how can you look past that in a game? You can't. You cannot. Yeah, of course. And uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say, though, is uh, at the end of the day, Brentford probably created the better chances, and so 3-2 oh, uh, is probably absolutely. a fair scoreline, sure. Um, sure. And which is why I don't want to sound like we're whinging, because I think Brentford deserved to win based on their performance compared to our performance. But it's just a shame when refereeing decisions can even be considered as a reason as to why a team has lost a game. And, you know, really, I'd say this game should have ended 3-2, but with 10 men on the field and one of Brentford's goals not being a penalty. Um, So, look, I mean, penalty was given. I was surprised it didn't get overturned by VAR, but if a referee gives a penalty... And there's contact. Even if VAR looked at it as well, they'd probably back the referee. So I understand why it wasn't overturned. Tony takes a very good penalty. We know he's a great penalty taker. I think there there was some stat flying around that he has scored all 17 of his penalties he's taken for Brentford in the Premier League, which is a, a crazy stat. But, you know, he's a very good penalty taker. Even though Leno goes the right way, couldn't get a hand to it. And, um, yeah, a, a very well-taken penalty bit cheeky of Tony with the Mitro celebration afterwards. Um, I think that would have gone down pretty badly if uh, Brentford had come out to lose that game in the end, but obviously worked out for him overall. Um, after that, it was it was scrappy for me. It was a really scrappy game, and you know Fulham just weren't putting any kind of service into Mitro. 
weren't creating anything through the middle. Pereira looked, you know, like he just didn't have any ideas on how to break it down. Um, they, they were closing down Solomon and Willian very well. Um, Silver made a lot of changes and probably not ones that I had, I would expect. Um, you know, we saw Wilson and Deckard over Reed come on for Solomon and Lukic. I, I think that was probably something to do with with fitness um, because I, I think both of those guys probably can't manage a full 90 minutes quite yet. Um, that was with about 15 minutes to go. Then with seven minutes to go, Vinicius and Suarez came on for Tete and Willian. Um, so we went to two up front with um, with Mitra up top as well. Um, Suarez was probably at fault in some sense for the third Brentford goal, a sliced clearance when he easily could have done better. Um, the ball sort of pings around in the midfield a little bit before getting sent out wide. Robinson beaten far too easily for my liking. Um, for someone who is lauded as being incredibly fast, he just managed to get outpaced completely down the wing. Um, a really simple ball in, and um, Jensen taps the ball through Leno's legs from oh, about three or four yards out. Almost impossible for Leno to save there, and uh, unfortunately at that point, with uh, five minutes left and Brentford 3-1 up, it was probably called, um, and I don't think we could have expected to get anything from the game. We did have a consolation, though. Vinicius managed to get himself on the score sheet again uh, in the ninth minute of injury time. Um, did really well following up uh, a long shot uh, and managed to get a, I wouldn't call it a tap-in, but he, he actually took the chance really well, finished, and a uh, bit of a consolation, but it was effectively the last kick of the game, and that was that, a 3-2 loss to Brentford, um, mirroring the score from earlier this season when we beat them 3-2. Um, Dad, I mean, it's tough to look back on a game like that, but did you think Brentford were good for good for the victory there? Oh, look, I think they, um, I think they were deserved winners, to be honest. And it feels, I don't really know how to sum this one up, but it it kind of feels like we had this coming, and it feels yeah. like the the wheels that there, there, there've been some problems which we've managed to paper over and get away with over the last few weeks. Mm. And it seems like they all kind of came home to roost. And, um, uh, it, you know, it was by no means a terrible display. But I'd say on the evening, Brentford deserved to win. And mm. I think there are a few little little issues that need to be sorted out. And, and I don't know if they're entirely sorted out. Um, yeah, like, you know, this Silver is much lauded for extracting huge amounts out of every player, possibly better than any other manager um, has done with these players at four. Um, well, well, certainly the ones who've been around for a while. Um, and have we reached a point where, you know, he's he on, on balance, on average, week in, week out, given the level of quality of the, this particular squad, have we reached the point, the sort of high water mark, where we're not 
going to get any better than this on average. And what it's really saying is that if we have aspirations as we now have all come to believe in of top four, top six, that it's really a kind of... Um, it, it, it maybe it's just a reminder that we really are four to six players short. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that um, soon when we go through some of the tweets. Let's have a look at some of the stats for the game, though. Um, Fulham dominating possession. Um, unfortunately, weren't able to do anything with it, though. Um, 64% to 36%. Uh, Fulham had nine shots on goal to Brentford's 14. Five of those were on target to Brentford six. Uh, not many corners in the game. Three corners for Fulham to Brentford's two. And as we discussed before, 17 fouls to Brentford's 12 and the three yellow cards to none for Fulham. Uh, a quick look at the league table and how everything stands. Um, actually, both teams don't move despite the result. Uh, one thing that we do see here, though, uh, on the screen for those following along live, um, Fulham now having played 26 games, sitting on 39 points. The teams around Fulham um, have played far less games. You look at Brighton, we're one point ahead of Brighton, but they've played three games less than us. We're one point ahead of Brentford now, but they've played two games less than us. Um, we are five points ahead of Chelsea, and they've only played the one game less than us. Um, and although we've got Newcastle, Liverpool and Tottenham, uh, well, sort of Newcastle and Liverpool all within three points, they do have games in hand on us at the moment. So, look, I, I think we can expect to see a little bit of movement in the table over the next few weeks especially as some of those games are getting caught up. Uh, I think uh, Brentford, or sorry, not Brentford, Brighton have um, two double game weeks over the next couple of weeks. So they'll be playing four games in the time that we play two. Um, so we, we will expect to see this table change a fair bit in the coming weeks. Um, and look, I, I think we can all sort of prepare ourselves for a bit of a Fulham slide down the table just based on the form of Brighton and Brentford and even Chelsea, who are all below us at the moment, um, I wouldn't be overly surprised to see us drop to ninth, maybe even 10th, uh, especially with Arsenal coming up and um, a few few tough games as well on the horizon. One thing to point out, though, is if you look at the bottom six in the Premier League at the moment, um, I believe Fulham are the only team in the top half who have to play all of the bottom six before the end of the season. So there is a bit of consolation there in the fact that we do have an easier run of fixtures based on the current table. But, uh, you know, based on the last couple of weeks and the last few performances, uh, we really do need Mitro to get back into a bit of form. We need Pereira to probably find himself a little bit again. Um, but we, we did miss Polina, and so him coming back will make a big difference. But like you said, there's a few things to discuss, and... Look, we will get into them because um, uh, I pulled up a few tweets for your top tweets that we saw discussed a few of these points. So let's rattle through these and, and have a bit of a look. Um, the first two sort of giving a bit of an overview of the game and the result itself. Yeah, so the first one's from Ben Jarman, who many of you will know as a very prominent and very learned and well-respected voice out there. Um uh, re regular contributor to uh, Fulhamish. Um, if I'm being very, very critical, Fulham haven't looked 100% for a few games. 
this result seems to be a culmination of those performances. Lack of control on the game, semi-predictable build-up, depth issues catching up. But remember, we have 39 points and we'll build next year. And I think, you know, that's probably sums up a lot of people's views. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's completely fair and I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. Um, the next one's from MJG, um, and he says, 26th game and really only the second game we haven't turned up. Newcastle, the other one. Need to shake this off and get back to doing what we do well. Also shows depth and quality we need to push on next season. I think very fair points from, from both that, you know, we do have a platform here, but we we probably all got a little bit carried away in the last couple of months, even where we've had some really great performances and and done really well. But it, it has looked the last few weeks like we're a little bit off the boil. And um, as MJG says, you know, it's only really the second time that we haven't fully turned up. Uh, you know, we we didn't get flogged either. Newcastle was the only game this season in West Ham that we lost by more than one goal so far. Um, so, question, Scott, question to you: Do you, do you think we're seeing a little bit of hangover from just the emotional effort and the physical effort that's gone into that tricky little two cup ties? Uh, possibly, although we didn't really have a full eleven out for those. I think there's a bit of that sort of mid-season fatigue, and we've seen it with Marco Silva sides in the past where they do have a little drop off after a really good start to the season. Um, I, I think uh, Ben Jarman makes a really good point about squad depth. We we are lacking in, in some positions and, you know, not being able to have a really good striker who you can rotate in for Mitro, who can score you goals fairly regularly, is hurting us because with Mitro in quite poor form at the moment, we don't really have another option. Uh, we just have to stick with him. And unfortunately, Mitro is such a... Um, Form is so important for him, where if he's if he's out of form, he just looks a shell of himself. Um, when he's in form, he's completely unstoppable, but um, you kind of have to deal with his poor form at the moment, and we don't have any other options. Same with Polina, because he's such a strong player, we don't have someone who can fill in for him uh, properly and fill that void completely. We're sort of patching it over a little bit, and look, I think there's there, there's quite a lot of strengthening we need to do in the off-season and I think we'll see quite a few players leave Fulham. Um, we'll see quite a few players come into Fulham as well. So, uh, you know, I, I'm actually looking forward to the summer um, purely because we, we know we're safe, we know we're going to be a Premier League team and we've shown glimpses that we, you know, should be having European aspirations next season because we're good enough. Um, I think because of that we should be able to strengthen and bring in some real talent. Um, I just hope it's Solomon's one of them and um, another really top-class striker is another one. Mm. It's interesting um, with Lukic. He's clearly a very, very good player and <clears throat> he's been around the squad now for a few weeks and he by no means had a bad game last night. Mm. I thought there was there was a lot to like about him, but he's just not Polina. He no, he's being asked actually... to do a job that is not well, his usual job. And so I think if you play him alongside Polina, 
he, he would really impress. And I think we're going to see that before the end of the season as well, um, where he's, he's probably challenging for Reed's spot rather than Polina's spot. And so I, I think having him try and step in and be that midfield enforcer, it, it's just not Lukic, and that's fine. Um, well, uh, unfortunately, though, we just don't have the depth to cover when we lose Bellini. You need a sort of, you know, we almost signed to Corre from Everton. Uh, you need someone like that who's a bit more of a midfield enforcer um, to come in and, and lay tackles for the whole game, basically. And Lukic just isn't that player. He doesn't want to be that player. And so he really struggled when he was thrown into that role. Um, let's have a look at the next tweet. Um, another Fulhamish uh, person here from Jack Collins. Yeah, um, say what you want about the officiating, and it was brutal, but Fulham came out slow in both halves and gave ourselves an uphill struggle away from home against the side on a huge unbeaten run, making life hard for ourselves. It's a huge contrast to the start of the season. That's an interesting point. Mm. Um, And, yeah, look, I think um, in in terms of contrast... we we had a we we came out well and I think we benefited from other sides who didn't start very well. We had a, an incredibly good start, and I think we've actually improved an enormous amount. But so so have everyone else. And um, as you know, I think in terms of where we are, we've just discussed that we're definitely going through a little flat spot at the moment, uh, mm. fatigue spot. I'm not quite sure exactly how to put my finger on it. But um, even, you know, even um, Solomon last night, he did not have it all his own way. He had to work pretty hard. And, um, he, and he did work hard, but he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't having it all his own way. So, you know, is, is, that, is that a matter of the, the, the sort of, partnerships weren't quite right for him last night he didn't find himself in in space where he'd like to be i, I don't know but um yeah, yeah look I, I think i think it's a fair point we we have to remember brentford are in really good form at the moment they're on the longest unbeaten run in the league i, I think i might even be across all of the english leagues at the moment i think it's 12 or 13 unbeaten so they're definitely in really good form at the moment but you know, as, as Jack says here, it is a huge contrast to the start of the season where, um, you know, we were coming out flying out of the blocks um, and we we just weren't there yesterday. And, um, you know, it, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why. Um, another one from MJG here. And it's a bit of a discussion that we sort of had earlier, but we can probably try and put an answer to now. Hmm. And MJG says, uh, the left side William and Solomon debate is one we need to have. William on the right side, just not the same player. And Solomon left his best place. What to do, eh? And, uh, yeah, we we touched on this a little earlier. And I, I think it, I think, I, I feel like we're probably right with this. It's not that William isn't flexible and adaptable enough um, to sort of pick up both of those spots or play in both of those positions. Um, Solomon, I'm less convinced about where his absolutely optimum position is, but maybe it is more about 
the pairings and matchups with um, the you know the Kenny Tete and Robinson and who pairs best. Um, and I, I mean, if I was Silver, I'd be switching those back, put William back on the left, and see how that works and if we can sort of recapture that little bit of magic. And I know Tete was combining well with Bobby Decadova-Reed, and I'm not suggesting that um, BDR replaces Solomon to start, but um, I'd be I'd be putting William back on the left to see yeah. if that's a better formula. Um, look, I, I think William just had a bit of an off night. Um, I, I think to judge him on a single performance, that's the first time we've seen him play a full game on the right, really, for the season. Um, and he's been so good on the left, so it's hard to sort of come to terms with that. But I think Willian on the right um, will be fine. Like I said, he's played there a lot in his career. So I don't think moving him across um, makes that much sense when you're dropping your most informed player who's scoring goals. And when you've got a striker who's not scoring goals, I think it's important that you you do have Solomon play in his preferred position because he's he's the person you need to pick up the slack. Um, yeah, moving on to the team. next one, um, and also <clears throat> maybe just give your door a close in the room you're in at the moment because there's a fair bit of background noise coming through at the moment. Um, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll read this one out while you're doing that. This is from Timbo uh, at Timmy in Transit on Twitter. Uh, with that 90th plus nine-minute goal, Vinicius, a backup, has scored as many goals since the World Cup as Mitro, who is our starter. The amount for both of them is two goals. This is bad. Dad, your, your thoughts on that? Um, it, it is a little bit worrying. Mitro hasn't scored since the game against Leicester, which I think was very, very early January. Might have been even New Year's Eve. Um it is it is getting a little bit worrying now. Obviously, he had a great start to the season, but are we a little worried that Mitro is in kind of a really big patch at the moment where he's not scoring goals? Look, we let I, I, I think we much has been said about how fortunate we are with lots of lots of people contributing and scoring goals, but. What, back to our ambition as a top six club, I think the only way you get there is by having a striker on fire or mm. a, a pair up front who are just scoring so many goals. And that's dropped off. It's not happening. But more than that, I think just a, um, a slightly off Metro has a massive impact on this whole team. Mm. It really does. And maybe, uh, whilst it's very difficult to put your finger on it, maybe that is one of the major problems here. And Mitro's drop in form is actually affecting us greatly because of it's, it, it, you know, not only his goal scoring, it's actually how well he does all those other things uh, on the pitch. And if he's injured, he simply can't cover the ground, he can't be as combative, he can't be as strong. Um, and I think all those things have a huge impact on yeah. on the machine that is, is 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 this. You know, we we have to play at an apt absolute optimal to to really be competitive with the top teams. Mm. 
and and if if we, Metro is a key part of that, and I, I feel like there's there's probably a few things that are not quite right at the moment, and not least service to Metro. Um, yeah, I, I think the service is probably one of the bigger issues, and I, well, not bigger issues, but there's there's an issue where Metro is a little bit out of form, but he's also not getting the service recently, and I think they're they're contributing to each other and causing issues. And look, uh, it, it'll it'll happen at some point. It'll just click, and he'll be back on fire again, as we've seen him do in the past. You know, it, it was a big night for him, two hundred appearances for Fulham. He scored over a hundred goals for us in that time. Um, He's, he's a top-class striker. Um, we know he can do it in the Premier League because he did it earlier this season, but it, it is getting to the point where I think we do need him to start scoring goals again. Otherwise, we're going to see a pretty rapid slide down the table because I don't, I don't think the midfield can continue to carry the weight of the goals and, and the the pressure that that brings. Um, let's have a look at another tweet. This one's from Fabrizio Romano, the incredibly well-known uh, football journalists who everyone looks to for their updated news. Yeah, and he says, Matt Solomon has scored five goals in the last five games with Fulham, four in the Premier League and one in the FA Cup. Loan deal with Fulham expires in June, which we all know about, and Solomon will return to Shakhtar at the end of the season with many clubs following him. Um, obviously, technically, he returns to... Shakhtar, but if the rumours are to be believed, that talks are already underway to try and secure him on a permanent basis. We don't obviously know much information about that, but it's topical because we all hope it's going to be very successful. Uh, we really yeah, need him I, to stay. I, look, I, I'm sure well, you'd, you'd hope that talks have started, and I'm sure they have because there'd be a number of clubs after him. I know um, Fabrizio Romano himself actually said that Barcelona were interested. I can't see that happening, seeing as Barcelona have a transfer embargo unless they raise £140 million. £140 million? £140 million. Euros. Um, they basically can't sign players. So I, I'd say that's fairly unlikely. I know a, a bunch of other clubs are looking at him, though, and I think fair enough when you score five in five at any level, um, people will start looking at you. The fact that you're doing it in the Premier League means people will start looking at you even more. Um, it's it's an interesting one, and I think it, it just drives home the importance of um, wrapping up this deal when he's being tweeted by the, the biggest football journalist in world football. Um, it's starting to get raised, and you know his profile is going up and up and up. And um, again, we understand why he was keeping Mudrick out of the... Uh, Shakhtar team, and you know, Mudrik's a eighty million pound player. Um, it, it's just such a shame that we didn't wrap up this deal months ago when we had the opportunity to sign him for seven million pounds. Um, we're going to be paying a fair whack more than that now, and uh, but I think he's going to be worth any every penny because at that age, with the talent he's got, he's a a future Fulham star for sure. If we can hold on to him for a long time. Well, to be fair, the guy. Got injured about fifteen minutes into his uh, yeah, of course, loan, of course. loan agreement. So, so I suppose to to have a crack at the club. No, no, rush, it, before rushing. before he joined yeah. Fulham, yeah. we had the opportunity yeah, to sign him for seven million. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, sure, 
Sure. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, a couple tweets here, sort of on the same point around um, Polina being unavailable last night. One from uh, Anthony B at Fulham Flutter, and another one from Peter Rutzler, who we know very well as the Fulham writer for the Athletic. Hmm. All right. So from Anthony B, he says, "I honestly don't think with Polina in the side we lose last night. Easy to overlook it and say he wouldn't have stopped certain situations." But the numbers prove he would have stopped a number of situations had he been there. He's a massive presence and leader, captain material. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, as I said before, I don't think I, th- I don't think Lukic had a bad game. Um, he, he actually looked pretty good. He looked good on the ball, um, but he, he, he I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. He, there was an element. I feel like there's an element lacking, a sort of self-belief element lacking. A number of times when he got the ball, he didn't drive forward. He laid it off square or or, or even backwards defensively. And it's sort of almost like that little sense that I was getting from Harry Wilson when he came back from injury. He just didn't have the confidence to play creative balls forward. Sure. I I guess the the point here, though, is... um... You know, do you think Polina would have actually made that big a difference last night, or do you think we would have lost even if he was playing because the rest of the team played poorly as well? Well, Polina has a presence, and he has, and he he controls the middle of the field, so he's got an intensity about him, and I think that tends to have a massive impact on the game. And not mm. only that, he does actually. He's often the sort of genesis of a lot of moves. He does try and switch play. A, a lot of the time, his passes don't always come off, but he does try to actually be quite positive once he wins the ball. And I didn't get a great sense from Lukic that that I, I'm not saying that he's not he couldn't be that player, but he wasn't that player last night. Yeah, you give me very politician answers where you're asking you a question, and you're just skirting around the edge of it a little bit. Come on then. Well, if Polina was playing, do you think we we win that game? Uh, no, no. I think um, I, I, other than the fact that I think Polina has such a massive impact on this side, and he and he he's such a he's such a sort of leader on the pitch that perhaps he actually, um, you know creates a different vibe and yeah. some of those players that we think had a pretty rusty, tired-looking game, maybe they lift because of what he's doing. So you said no, but your answer there says yes. <laughs> uh, uh, look, it's election week, Jack. and uh, <laughs> It you know, sounds like it. What, 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 well, look, what, I'll, I'll actually I'll read out Peter Rutzler's tweet as well because – it, it kind of goes on the other side where, where Fulham Flutter, Anthony on Twitter says that um, with Polina in the side, we, we win that game or at least don't lose that game. Peter Rutzler says, no Polina is the go-to for last night. But while FFC missed him, that wasn't everything. After a shaky first 10 minutes, the team did stabilise but created very little. Are they just running out of steam a bit? Nothing alarming, but it wasn't a surprise. Um, yeah, look, I I... I would agree with Peter. I think 
um, Polina would have made a difference, but I don't think it would have been enough of a difference because at the end of the day, Polina isn't the person we turn to um, to create chances. He's the person we turn to to break down attacks. And maybe he would have done a little bit better defensively than we did last night. But at the end of the day, we had a lot of possession, uh, but we did nothing with the possession. And Polina isn't this creative genius who's going to play killer through balls and win the game for us. He's, he's what we missed in midfield with a bit of presence. But really, we did just look like we were running out of steam a little bit. And I think oh. Polina in that team would have made some kind of difference for sure. But um, I, I don't think it was going to be enough to, to get us any points. Uh, and I think, you know, some questions have to be asked on the training fit on the training pitch over the coming days, because if we perform like that going into the game against Arsenal, we're going to be in a little bit of trouble. I think um, <laughs> we've just had Steve Reynolds join us on the live stream on YouTube um, asking, Hey guys, what the hell is the time over here? Uh, it's 10, 10 30 PM over here in Perth. Um, he asks, I'll be running short as the season goes on. And then also goes to say, um, we are short of five or six players and the small squad is affecting us now, but the bees deserved it though. And, you know, I think we've touched on that through the podcast, basically saying there is a lack of depth there at the moment. And, um, you know, as we discussed, it is something we will hopefully resolve in the off season. Um, but at the moment it, it does seem like our school, a small squad and it, albeit our small squad in terms of quality, um, because I think we're just missing really good backup players in some of those positions. Um, thanks for joining us as well, uh, Emma. Unfortunately, we're right towards the end of the podcast, but thank you very much for, for joining in um, for those who are jumping on the live stream on YouTube at the moment. Uh, it's really appreciated getting involved. Um, moving on, though, to our last tweet, and I've got a little screenshot for those following along of Ivan Tony's boot uh, in Lukic's face. Um, Dad, this one's from Fulham Fan News at Fulham Transfer on Twitter. Um, yeah, it says so. Danny, Danny Murphy insists Ivan Tony should have been sent off in capitals before scoring his penalty against Fulham, urging that Brentford, uh, urging that the Brentford hitman quote knew exactly what he was doing unquote. Yeah, look, we've we've touched on this. It's a pretty graphic picture of. Um, two rear studs in the side on the right hand side of uh, Sasa Lukic's face, and you know cl clearly he was hurt. There was no foxing or time wasting involved with this one. Mm. Um, and if, if if you look at the angle of where he ends up here with his boot in his face, uh, doesn't look. It's not a good look. Uh, I um, mean, if you but, if you take just that screenshot of of Lukic on the floor with a boot raised. I mean, Lukic is sort of resting on his elbow and you've got a boot in his face. And if you told someone that that challenge didn't receive even a yellow card, I'd say 90% of people would be astonished. 99% of people. Because having a high boot like that is dangerous at the end of the day. Well, and well surely having studs up at any point in the tackle is a big problem. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and so, yes, it, it's clumsy. Yeah. Yes, it's a mistake. He didn't mean it, but uh, you know, Danny Murphy thinks potentially he he knew exactly what he was doing there. Um, uh, and look, it's it's disappointing when a decision like that goes against you. Obviously, we got a little bit lucky with Lukic not going off as well. So decision goes against Brentford as well during the game. But 
um, you know, it's yeah, as as Steve Reynolds on our live says, um, Tony raised his hand straight away, expecting the worst, and, and he didn't get anything for it, um, which was just shocking, surprising. I don't don't even know how to describe it. Um, but at the end of the day, Tony will be banned for a fair few matches anywhere at some point this season. So um, I, I think we're going to see Brentford really struggling without him because he was given man of the match and, you know, he, he's a big driving force behind everything Brentford do. And without them in, without Tony in the team, they're going to be a, a very different prospect. So I, I expect um, we'll see Brentford struggle a little bit later in the season. And I think this unbeaten run they're on at the moment is going to be really important for them because in the next you know, 15 games they've got for the season, uh, they might struggle to pick up points. So, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a, Tony's a cheeky, cocky little player that opposition teams really love to hate. That, you know, he's, he's mm. pretty cheeky. He's, he's Metro esque celebrations, goal celebrations. I mean, you know, what, what, what's, what's he up to? Um, maybe he's getting, getting ready to go out with a bang. Uh, but hopefully uh, we will we will have the last laugh. Yeah, well, at the day, at the end of the day, you do. Well, people do hate players like that, um, usually because they're very good, and and you have to give it to Tony is a very very good striker. Um, oh, no doubt. Uh, so so, you know, when someone's a little bit cheeky like that as well, you, you'd love to have it uh, as the. Uh, uh, you love to have him on your team, but you absolutely hate it when you have to come up against players like that because. They're just so dislikable, and and Tony really is one of those guys. Um, but you know, like I said, uh, unfortunately, um, Fulham were stung by the better side, um, better with a specific emphasis on B E T there. Um, <laughs> and, and look, uh, I think it's one that we now move past. We put it to bed, and we look forward to the future. We've got a a really tough game coming up against Arsenal now, and. Um, you know, like I said, if we put in another performance like that, we we are really going to struggle, and I could see Arsenal really putting us to the sword. Obviously, you know they they do have their weaknesses, but we have to be on our A game to to even get anything out of that game, uh, and not come away with with a pretty bad loss. And I think if we play like we did against Brentford, we we are going to come away with a bad loss. So there's a lot of work to do in the in the week, and uh, hopefully Fulham can. You know, change their fortunes a little bit because after this Arsenal game, we've got a big game in the FA Cup against Man United and then, you know, a fairly good run in the Premier League um, for the rest of the season. We, we'll have about 12 games left and of those 12 games, nine of them are very, very winnable. Um, there's there's some tough games against Liverpool and both Manchester clubs, but apart from that, we should be looking at picking up a lot of points, but we do need to find a bit of form and and we do need a bit of a spark back. Um, so look, Dad, let's put this one to bed. Uh, let's put ourselves to bed as well because it's getting pretty late here now. Um, but thank you for joining me tonight to to talk through this one. Um, it was a, a pretty entertaining game for the uh, for the neutral fan. I think um, it's just disappointing it didn't go our way. I think it was a better ga- better game for the Brentford fan, and they were noisy and uh, really up for it. And look, as I said before, from the outset, I think uh, it, it, it can't all be uh, fun and games discussing incredible wins and incredible form. And I think <clears throat> uh, I I'm thoroughly enjoyed talking through all the points. Um, it's uh, mm. it, it's good to pull apart. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so look, we'll uh, be back sometime during the week to preview the Arsenal game. But until then, come on you whites. <laughs> <laughs>